Stewart is in. Goblin in alone with Stewart back in. Scores! Over the blue line, space. Billy on near circle, back door feet. What a blocker save by Portillo! Here comes Halliday, left wing, joined by Beck. Halliday will sauce it for Beck, stick with for him. What a goal! For plenty of time and space, walking in near circle to the back end of the slot. Eber beats it, tucks it in. What a goal! Cross ice, D. St. Val has it. Back door shot, what a save! Portillo, it's loose, and another save. Right pad, he's miraculous. Welcome to our house. You're listening to the Fighting Saints Report. And we welcome you into another edition of the Fighting Saints Report. Jack Molesky, Jim Leitner. After a couple weeks hiatus, we have some more USHL news to talk about. So we figured what better time to bring the podcast back after a couple weeks off. Jim, good to talk to you uh, through the computer once again. Finally, some players to talk about some more hockey news as we quickly ramp up to what will be a, a sprint to the regular season as uh, this this feels like it's been a long time coming and then with with all this time off it's going to hit you really quickly that hockey is going to be back in less than a month once players start reporting yeah I mean we're looking at what six months since we've had since we've had USHL hockey which is way too long by uh, by most people's standards and uh you know it's it's kind of funny you you look at uh you kind of forget about it when, when you have that much time you kind of forget about some of the players you kind of forget about the draft and who got the guys that are in the system and you know now that we have uh some uh training camp roster on paper and we have a date for a reporting date and we have you know, a date for uh, the, the kickoff for the, for the season. It's, it's a lot more real and it's a lot more fun. And uh, there's a lot of uh, room for excitement right now with everything that's going on. Yeah, you mentioned the return to play date, which has been out for um, a little over a month now. And looking at that November 6th start time, it's about a month later than the league usually gets going. But still some some excitement and still the ability if the league starts there on November 6th to get a 54-game season in, which is uh, not much different than what you usually see at the USHL level. 62 games was the intended schedule last year and uh, for a couple years previous to that. Some slight tweaks, but by and large, the USHL is trying to make this as normal, as regular, and as full a season as it usually is. And there, there are going to be a lot of challenges. We, we talked to head coach Oliver David later in this podcast, and he mentioned that right now the coaching staff is really focused on how can they do everything that they normally do as safely as possible. Um, so there are going to be different challenges, but if everything is able to go off with without a hitch, it should be pretty fun to see hockey back. And as we dive into the training camp roster here shortly, the Fighting Saints look like they have uh, what could be a pretty fun team as well this season. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, there's a, a lot of reason for optimism with this group. We, you know, Fighting Saints lost a ton last year. Uh, so your immediate thought is that you're looking at a, a huge rebuilding year. Uh, and, you know, you look at losing guys like Eric Portillo and, and Aiden Fulp and, 
the Jackson Twins and Reese Gaber and Chirametta and, you know, you go up and down the list, you think, man, we're going to be in trouble this year. Uh, but I think uh, credit to Callie Larson and, and Oliver David, they did a nice job drafting the last couple of years, not only in the, the regular entry draft, but the, uh, the futures draft. And, you know, so there's been a lot of really good uh, players in the pipeline that, you know, I think this is, uh, I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off this year, I don't think it's going to be as as big of a as big of a uh, rebuilding campaign as you know you would normally think when you look at losing all those guys from last year to colleges. So it is. It's going to be a fun, fun, exciting team to watch. And, and certainly, the the losses you know can't be overlooked when you lose a Reese Gaber, who is now the the tier one career leading goal scorer for the Fighting Saints. When you lose. Uh, both the Jackson twins who are on pace for close to 70 points in the regular season, if it had been a full regular season last year. Uh, Dubuque lost their top five goal scorers from last year. But as you mentioned, they're, they're bringing in some returning players who will be slotted into larger roles. And they're also bringing in uh, experience from different junior levels or back from the college ranks, which is something that they've had success with in the past couple seasons, especially. Um, but Looking at the training camp roster, I want to start from the net out because certainly in net and then on the blue line is where the experience really shines through for the Fighting Saints. And, and quite honestly, if you're going to pick an area where you would want experience, I think you would definitely want it between the pipes and on the blue line versus at the forward level just because of the, the premium that is put on good defensive structure uh, when it comes to USHL play. Oh, no doubt about it. And I mean, that uh, a good goaltender or a good goaltending tandem can make up for little mistakes that are in front of you. And especially when you're a young and, and building team, you, didn't want to be, you always want to have those solid goaltenders in the back end. And, you know, I think uh, with Aiden McCarthy coming back and, you know, I don't know that he was expected to play 23 games last year. Uh, even in a even in an abbreviated season, he got in 23 games last year, and uh, he had uh, he had some growing pains. He had some uh, he had some rough outings there too. But you know, when you at the end of the day, he had a 2.96 goals against average and, and just a shade under 90 percent save percentage, uh, which isn't too bad for a for a rookie year and um, in a year where he was not expected to be carry a ton of the load with Eric Portello as the, as the clear number one, but, you know, he gained a lot of really valuable experience last year and, and won some big games for the fighting saints. So I think that's a, you know, it's assuring that reassuring to have him and Matt and then Hobie Hedquist, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, won every USHL game he's ever played. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's nice to have too. And, you know, granted it was only one game that he played, but I think for him to come in and he played the one game against Cedar Rapids and beat them down in that barn, I think from a mental standpoint, that's, that had to be huge for his confidence uh, coming into his first full year in the USHL. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to be huge for him as opposed to if he would have come in and, and uh, had a rough outing or, or really struggled. You know, I think that might have been difficult for him moving forward. But, yeah, he had a, he had a really good game against uh, Cedar Rapids. I'm sure that uh, got a taste for what the USHL is about. And, you know, he's, I look for a lot of really good things out of him this year, too. 
Yeah, and for McCarthy, that you mentioned the 23 games. If you look at the year previous when Matthew Thiessen was the workhorse for Dubuque, Aaron Randazzo saw action in, in 20 games, and that was with a full season. And I think that was probably what we were expecting more of last year was Portillo if the season had been its whole 62-game length to get anywhere from you know upper 30s to lower 40s in terms of starts. And then you get about 20, maybe a little bit less, a little bit more from McCarthy. But in a shortened season to play in 23 games, certainly more game action than you would have expected if you drew it up on paper going into the season, but probably now a blessing in disguise for the Fighting Saints because he would have gotten some good USHL experience McCarthy last year, but now he really has enough experience to be able to have confidence mm -hmm. to step into a starting role immediately. And uh, and then looking at Hedquist, and we talked to Callie Larson, this was a plan from couple years back when when McCarthy was first drafted and when Hedquist was drafted you know they wanted Portillo to be the starter McCarthy to back him up then McCarthy the starter Hedquist to back him up if you look at this year's draft they're anticipating that next year Hobie Hedquist is the starter and Paxton Geisel is the backup so they have a little pipeline right now in a rotation of goaltenders that they're hoping continues to pan out for the Fighting Saints and you really have to like the situation with McCarthy being a solid number one but Hedquist being a very, very good backup. And I think Hobie Hedquist, if he was given the chance, uh, not to say he's not going to get the chance to compete for the starting role in Dubuque, but much like last year where McCarthy could have been a starter on multiple USHL teams, I think you're going to see that from Hedquist this year as well, where middle of the season you're going to be saying, wow, Hobie could be starting on some of these other teams at the USHL. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, you, you go back to last year again, you know, Aiden McCarthy was the number two. But, you know, you had some situations where uh, Portillo was, was uh, nicked up a little bit. So McCarthy was the number one guy. He was the go-to guy uh, for stretches there in the season when, when, Portillo was, when Portillo was injured or when he went to the World Junior Championships with Sweden. So uh, I kind of like that aspect of it, too. For McCarthy, you know, it's not like he was the number two last year. There were times when he was the number one. He was the go-to guy. He was the, the number one goalie. So he has a little bit of experience of being the number one guy. You know, the guy that, uh, you know, they, they had an emergency call up or they had, you know, guys who were up uh, to spell Portillo while he was out. Uh, so I, there were times when Aiden McCarthy was the number one. And I, I think that's an important uh, experience for him to have as well. Uh, but again, you know, same thing could happen this year. You know, McCarthy... You, you never know what's going to happen in a, in a, in a long season, 54 game season. You never know. So, uh, and, and Hedquist could uh, be in a point where he has to be the number one or he earns the number one. So I, I think that's what uh, the goaltending situation last year I thought was really good because it wasn't like, uh, you know, you just had a, a goalie in there, a second goalie in there just to, to fill space. I mean, he was, he was competing for the job and, uh, he earned his ice time and he uh, he performed well. And, you know, I think that's the lesson that the coaching staff has to give to Hobie Hedquist as well. You know, you don't come in here thinking you're just the number two and, you know, you're just, you know, here for next year. You know, you have to work hard every single day and, you know, you might get an opportunity to be the number one this year. Yeah, and he definitely, uh, as we saw last year, you could be called on in the blink of an eye, whether you expect it or not, to, to be slotted into a starting role. And I think Hedquist is, as he proved in very limited roles last year, capable of having success at the USHL level. 
Uh, moving a little further out of the net, uh, we've already touched on a couple of the defense, but looking at the returners for Dubuque, you have Evan Stella, who played 30 games last year. Ian Pierce, who played in the upper 30s, I believe 37 games for the Fighting Saints last year. Michael Feenstra, who had the best year of his career in Dubuque, coming back for uh, full season number three. Braden Doyle, who was dynamic on the offensive end for the Fighting Saints. You're returning nearly 150 games of USHL experience just last season from those four. And then, again, this is the theme for the Fighting Saints, a little experience and a good amount of youth. Henry Thrun, two seasons with the NTDP, great offensive numbers, a very solid defenseman as well. And then in 31 games last season, he had three goals, 18 assists. And at Harvard, 21 points for a defenseman in his first year at the NCAA level is pretty darn good. You bring in Drake Bergen, who had uh, experience at the MJHL level last year, and then two young but very talented players, Max Burkholder, who is Part of that new wave defense, uh, great skater and pretty good at speed as well. And then Riley Rosenthal, who's a much bigger player, one of the youngest players on the entire squad, uh, over six foot four, good size, great shot. So youth mixed with experience. And I forgot Luke Grammer as well, who's uh, closer to Burkholder in terms of skating and skill on the blue line. But starting with those returners right there, again, four players, almost 150 games combined last season, and a great mix of a guy like Doyle, who brought all the offense, to some stay-at-home guys like Stella and Pierce and Feenstra as well, who just provide pretty solid minutes on the blue line. Yeah, and I really like the way uh, the way Feenstra and Pierce really developed last season. You know, those those were guys that I don't know what the expectations were for them at the beginning of the year, but by the end, they were logging some pretty important minutes. And and Pierce might have been the most improved player on the team, mm -hmm. uh, the whole the whole team last year. And uh, looking at him in, in the the tryout camp in late July, I thought he was really dynamic, and you know, a guy who I think it can make another big step this year. So you're right. You know, when you have that many games coming back on the defense core, that's a, that's a huge benefit to have. And um, so uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, the defense is really where you want to, hopefully you can hang your hat if you have a rebuilding team. And if you want to build from strength, that's a, that's a good place to do it. And, you know, those guys coming back, was it one, two, three, four, four guys back uh, with a lot of USHL experience, a lot of experience in Coach Oliver David's system. I think that's going to be a huge benefit to this team and uh, something that the, the Saints will definitely lean on. And then not Dubuque experience in the USHL, but when you have uh, close to 100 games of experience in the USHL and Henry Thrun, plus 30 games of experience at the NCAA level, I mean, that's going to be another player that you really rely on heavily, not just for solid production, on the ice, but in, in talking with Oliver David and Callie Larson, they absolutely love him off the ice in terms of the character that he brings and the leadership that he brings. And Oliver David, when, when talking to him a couple days ago, he didn't say the exact words, but the way he was describing Henry Thrun, it really felt like he was describing Eden Fulp in a lot of ways in terms of the way he carries himself off the ice. And to have that leadership on the blue line, I think is going to be invaluable for a, a fairly young fighting Saints team. Well, yeah, not just on the blue line. I think it's it's a huge benefit to have a guy like him 
in your dressing room that everybody can look up to. <clears throat> I think by by uh, age-wise, I think this is probably going to be a young team or a younger team than we're probably used to. So to have a guy like Henry Henry Thun, Thrun in there, uh, leading by example, much like Aiden Fulp did last year, I think that's going to be a huge benefit, not just to the blue line, but everybody else. And, you know, here's a guy who's, who's playing at Harvard. He was one of the top scoring uh, rookie defenseman in the NCAA last year. Mm -hmm. He's been drafted by the Anaheim Ducks, you know, fourth rounder in 2019. So you, you look at him, if you're one of his teammates, you look at him and you see this is a guy who's, you know, really got a lot going on for himself right now. He's got a real promising future uh, when he goes back to Harvard and hopefully in the NHL someday. So you, you look at if you're a younger guy, you're not committed to a school or you're, you're hoping to get drafted. Uh, you have a guy right in your locker room who has everything that you're aspiring to. Uh, so it's, it's a benefit to have him in there. And, you know, the fact that he is a, a high character guy, you know, a guy who is, you know, uh, going to be a, definitely one of the leaders on the team, you know, that's a, a greater, even greater benefit to have that. So uh, excited to see Henry in the, in camp. And he was part of that, uh, national team development program that set a record for uh, players being drafted uh, just last summer, 2019. So, you know, he's got a lot of experience playing at an extremely high level. And uh, I think that's going to be a huge benefit uh, to him and not just his teammates, but I think he'll be a huge benefit to the coaching staff too, because I think it kind of sounds like he might be one of those guys who's uh, in practice. He might be like another coach on the ice. Yeah. Again, that, that, NCAA experience that Dubuque has had some some good success with in terms of bringing players back from the NCAA ranks. You saw it last year with Mark Charametta, who was instantly one of the top scorers on the Fighting Saints. You saw it the year previous with J.D. Greenway, Willie Neerum, and James Sanchez, who all three had pretty solid years when they went back to the NCAA ranks. And now you have Henry Thrun on the team this year. And you also have P.J. Fletcher, who uh, a forward, a big power forward, center. Um, and, and I think when you look at the Fighting Saints draft, it was pretty apparent that they knew that they were going to have the returners on defense. They knew they had the goaltending situation figured out. They had returning forwards, but what they didn't really have was returning centers because their first three picks in the Phase 2 draft were all centers. P.J. Fletcher was one of those picks. And watching him at main camp, very impressed with his uh, ability in all three zones. But I think P.J. Fletcher, in looking at the way he's built, he really feels like he might take over the role Willie Neerham had a couple years ago with that power forward style of play, playing with a lot of grit and being the guy that you see in front of the net a lot on the power play and also at five on five. He's built that way, and I think he likes to play that style of game as well. Oh well, yeah, he's six foot two, one eighty-five, and uh, he's at, had experience. He was at Quinnipiac uh, last year, and that's a that's a pretty good, solid program in the ECAC. It's got a tradition of, of winning a lot of hockey games, so uh, I think he'll be a big addition too. And he, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, it's one thing to have guys from college who come back to the USHL, uh, but it's it's another to have a guy who's extremely motivated. Uh, to get back to that level. And I think that's one thing that we've seen the last couple of years with some of the college guys that have come back, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it can be a tough thing because if you're, 
if you're coming back to the USHL, maybe it's a confidence thing, or maybe it's something that, you know, your game isn't just right. And it, it can be a, it can be a challenge, but you know, the, the saints have done a really good job of identifying uh, these NCAA players who are really motivated and really driven to improve their situation. And, and I think that's exactly what we're going to see out of PJ Fletcher this year. And before we dive more into the forwards, <clears throat> just doubling back to, to round off some of the players on defense, uh, we saw him at main camp now for the last two seasons, but one of the guys I think to Saints fans might not know too much about that is uh, worth getting very excited about is, is Max Burkholder. He was a right shot defenseman when the Saints grabbed him two years ago in the futures portion of the draft. He won the 2019 Bantam Player of the Year Award in the state of Minnesota. Um, but when you talk about the new age of defensemen in terms of maybe not being as big and bulky as they were 20 years ago, but more offensive-minded or at least with great skating ability, Burkholder fits right in with that. Uh, I was impressed with the skating both times I saw him, but it looked like he certainly added on some weight and a little bit more grit to his game. Um, it was showcased in main camp. He's a younger player, but I think he's a player with more upside than just about anyone on this roster because of how well he skates on the blue line and how quickly he's been able to develop in the last couple of years as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the, the smaller sized defensemen, uh, that used to be the train of thought that you can't have a small defenseman back there because he's just going to get, he's going to get beat up and he's going to get, he's really going to get pounded back there. But, you know, you, you take a, young, a younger guy, a smaller guy, and you pair him with a big guy uh, on his, on the other side, on the, well, in this case would be on his left side. I think that, uh, that uh, evens things out. And again, if you're a def smaller defenseman, but you can skate extremely well, and if you can move the puck extremely well, uh, that, uh, that certainly makes up for the lack of size. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> you look at uh, Ian Pierce, he's not a real big guy either, but he's, you know, the way he skates and the way he moves the puck, I mean, that uh, definitely he's got a good spot on, on the Dubuque roster and a very valuable player as well. And he's going to be valuable to a college as well. So uh, Burke Holder is committed to Colorado College. Uh, so I think he's uh, obviously they've seen a lot in him that they really like. And, you know, I, I, I'm agreeing with you on, on how well he skates and how, uh, you know, how I think he'll make a good adjustment to the USHL. Burkholder, uh, one of the, the young defensemen, uh, but Dubuque, as we mentioned, returning a lot of experience from last year's team and also grabbing some experience from other avenues on the defensive end with with Thrun and then we didn't mention him much but Drake Bergen from the MJHL also some junior experience before coming back um, to the USHL now looking at the forwards starting with the returners again and this is probably the area where Dubuque has maybe not the least experience but the least uh scoring returning because when you look at the returners it's a lot of the bottom six which isn't necessarily a bad thing as we know in the ushl last year dubuque was so successful because they could roll four effective lines and i think returning the bottom a good amount of the bottom six actually gives dubuque an advantage in some cases because they already know that they're going to have a pretty solid foundation there on those checking lines tommy middleton reggie millette riley stewart Robert Cronin, all making the training camp roster, uh, all had less than 10 points last year, except for Middleton, who broke out at the end of the year. 
but all contributed in so many areas that were invaluable to the team. And I think the biggest thing is when you look at all four of them, you think, wow, that's a good amount of forwards who were very effective on the penalty kill, which was great last year, that are going to be coming back to this year's team. Yeah, and, you know, and looking at uh, some of those guys when we saw them at, at uh, trial camp uh, this summer, they, they, it wasn't like they were stuck in that uh, bottom six role. or uh, They showed some offensive upside as well. So, I mean, I, I don't think that you can just say they're automatically going to be pegged for bottom six roles again this year. I think they've all shown some uh, capabilities of putting the puck in the net and making plays. So I, I, I wouldn't be, uh, you know, I, and we've seen that in the past too, where guys, you know, if you're put on a bottom six for your first year, that's kind of the role you have to play. That's the kind of the mentality that you have. And points, points are more like a bonus uh, but you know, a lot of times you see those guys come back for that second year. They they work on what the, the, during the summer they work on their deficiencies and they come back and they have a lot more offensive upside. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a greater output from those guys. And uh, but again, as you mentioned, they were all really vital to the penalty kill, which you know was as good as it's been in Dubuque for a while. And uh, if you can keep the other team off the board, and uh, that's that's you know, that's about the same as scoring goals as well. So I think that's a, a key role to have those guys back. And the player that stands out immediately, I think if, if fighting Saints fans are looking at this list is obviously Reggie Millette, his name chanted multiple times throughout the Mystique Community Ice Center um, last season. And, and he's the type of player that coming into last year's training camp, I don't want to say he was on the the fringe of making the roster and not making the roster. Uh, but he definitely wasn't a shoe in when training camp started. And, and now it's kind of crazy to think of the fighting saints without Reggie Millette this season, because of all he was able to bring to the team in terms of the penalty kill, in terms of the energy and in terms of just that on ice leadership. I don't think there's many players that debut fighting saints players would have rather played with and played for last season than Reggie Millette. Yeah, you know, that's uh, you go back to that, that 2019 draft. Uh, that was one of the things that the Fighting Saints really wanted to address was grit. And uh, I think if you look at Reggie Millette, uh, there's no better word to describe Reggie than grit. Uh, you saw it so many times, you know, especially like on the penalty kill. He'd go out and block multiple shots on the same shift. And, you know, it would probably knock down most most uh penalty killers or knock them out of the game but he'd stand right in there and you know he'd block a shot you knew it hurt him but he stayed right out there and blocked another one um and you know that's it serves more than one purpose it, it obviously it helps the team because it keeps the puck out of the net but how many times did you look on the bench and you see guys standing up or banging their sticks against the bench because reggie made a big defensive play on a penalty kill uh, you kill off a penalty, it gives your team momentum, then someone goes out and scores a goal, you know, a minute later. Uh, that's a huge momentum swing, and uh, you can't speak highly enough about a guy like about Reggie and what he brought to the team last year. Even though the point total wasn't very high, um, I know that the Fighting Saints have a, you know, have a, a system where they, they reward guys for, for little plays like that and, you know, penalty kills and blocking shots and you know he was probably one of the more valuable guys on the team by doing those little things well and another guy that did 
seemingly every little thing well last year was, was Tommy Middleton, who will be returning uh, to training camp this year for the Fighting Saints. But you mentioned in, in seeing some of those players at main camp and their ability to maybe take on a bigger role. We might have already seen the start of that for, for Tommy Middleton last season when I was diving into doing some uh, profiles for, for training camp. Outside of Reese Gaber and Stephen Halliday, in the last 13 games of the season, Tommy Middleton had the most goals of any fighting saint. That's more than the Jackson Twins. That's more than Mark Cherimetta. That's more than Matthew Copperud. That's more than Antonio Venuto. Certainly not the player you would put on the list with those others when it comes to offense. But he got hot, and when he got hot, he found the back of the net quite a lot. And I think that's something that if Tommy Middleton's able to build off of that offensive success he had towards the end of the regular season last year, something the Fighting Saints have to be very excited about. No doubt about it. And, and, you know, you look at last year's team and you had the the obvious horses, you know, the obvious guys that you knew were going to put points on the board every single game, the, the real consistent guys. So uh, to get that secondary scoring from a guy like Tommy Middleton, and you're right, he did heat up at the end. Um, that was, uh, that was huge. And I think, you know, I would have really loved to see what he could have done the last 10 or 12 games of the season and into the playoffs. You know, he's kind of a playoff type guy, you know, a, a tough minded, gritty guy. And he scores those uh, those dirty goals, those gritty goals. So uh, I would have been excited to see what he could have done at the end of last year. And I know he's extremely motivated coming into this year uh, with a little bit more to prove or a little bit of unfinished business from what happened last year. And I mean, he wants to prove that he can do what he did at the end of the season for an entire 54 game season. When you're talking about returners and, and talking about scoring the, the mind immediately goes to Stephen Halliday who got off to a slow start last year, uh, no doubt about it. And he would tell you the same thing, but when he got going, he did not slow down towards the end of the season. He was outside of, of Gaber and uh, the Jackson twins, most points through the last 25 games of last season and this is his third year in the USHL he's coming back for his third season and as young as he is to already have two years of experience under his belt is going to be big for Halliday uh, but I think the biggest positive sign for the Fighting Saints obviously you quantify that stuff on the ice and that's easy to see but it was noticeable the growth that Halliday took off of the ice last year he credits it a lot to Reese Gaber and, and talking with Gaber about his experience at the USHL and how to be a leader on and off the ice and how to not let one bad game affect the next two games. But I think that that off the ice maturity was incredibly noticeable towards the back end of last season. And because of it, Halliday is going to be a much better player on the ice as well. Yeah. You know, you, you talked, he's, he's a very soft-spoken young man, no question about it. Um, but, you know, it, it was amazing to see the transformation from, from September, October into March, how much more confidence he had and just how much more, uh, more developed he was, you know, just in the course of, you know, four, five, six months. Uh, I think in his case, you know, he, was, he had some nice success with Central Illinois uh, during his rookie year. But, you know, in talking to him, they didn't really play a real structured system there. And, he, and uh, you know, he came to Dubuque, it was a little bit more structured and there was a little bit more, uh, a, you know, a more detailed system. And 
might have taken him a little while to to uh, really get used to that system. But once he did, he was outstanding. And, you know, he went on a run, uh, you know, I think it started maybe in December where he was just almost untouchable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you saw that with the, the confidence that he gained over the course of that season, uh, he was really dynamic and a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, he's a, he's a really motivated young man. He's a guy who's committed to it. Even when weren't going for weren't going well for him last year, he was uh, working his rear end off every day in practice, and you know you had to tell him all the time, "Hey, keep doing what you're doing because eventually you're just going to explode." And eventually he did, and the numbers really uh, showed that. Yeah, and Halliday, the the confidence I think was the biggest thing, and we mentioned it multiple times on the broadcast. Is you know once he sees the puck go into the back of the net a couple of times, once he builds that confidence he's going to take off and he's not going to slow down. And, and you alluded to it starting in December and definitely in January when the, the players returned from the holiday break, he took off and did not slow down one of the top offensive producers on the team uh, for the last 20 games or so of the regular season. Uh, I know he's been working on his skating a lot with Chad Remical and Dubuque this off season. Uh, he looks faster. He looks a little bit stronger. And already with that scoring touch, the the Fighting Saints, Callie Larson didn't, didn't mince words when he talked about it. He said they fully expect him to be one of the top point producers in the USHL this season. And I think if you ask Stephen Halliday, he, he wouldn't say anything other than that's the expectation he has for himself as well. Yeah, and I think they get some good uh, good players around him as well. I mean, he's not going to be a guy who's going to have to carry the entire load. Uh, which is a which is a big thing, and I mean, you don't want to see him coming in with all the pressure of having to be the guy or having to carry the entire load. You know, even though the Fighting Saints lost a lot of good quality scores from last season, I thought they brought in some really talented point producers this year. So uh, that'll make things a lot easier for him. Get a couple of good solid line mates who can also put the puck in the net, and uh, he's going to be difficult to stop. Yeah, well, we talked to head coach Oliver David about Halliday, some of those returners on defense in just a moment. We'll get to that interview. Uh, Before we do the final group, I want to touch on forwards wise, um, kind of grouping these three together because they had, excuse me, very similar seasons last year in terms of great success at the lower levels. uh, And they were all drafted in the same futures draft. And uh, that's Max Montez, uh, Kenny Connors, and Connor Kurth. And Kurth was over two and a half points per game at the NAPHL level. He had over 70 points in just 22 games. Max Montez was over two points a game. He had over 100 points with the Milwaukee Junior Admirals. And then Kenny Connors, uh, when talking to Callie Larson, he said, you're never going to be super impressed with the point total that Connors puts up. There are no numbers that Kenny Connors is going to put up that make you think, wow, he's an elite hockey player but he spoke so highly of Kenny Connors just being able to do every single thing well on the ice. And you're never going to have an issue with him. And that's why he thinks he's going to be such a, an, a successful player at the USHL level, but all three of them impressed during main camp, all three of them spent time with the fighting saints last year. And Kurth was the only one of the three that didn't see any action in a USHL game. But those three, all Oh three birth years, I think are, really the future for the Fighting Saints. And if they develop quickly this season, this team is suddenly going to have a lot more firepower than uh, they do already right now. 
Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, they're guys that obviously have a lot of upside, but I think a, a big key will be um, bringing them along where they can uh, taste some success. And I think, you know, I think the Fighting Saints have brought in some veteran forwards who can, you know, shoulder a little bit more of the load so these three don't have to. And I think that's going to be, <clears throat> I think that'll be key to their development as well. Sometimes you bring in younger guys and you expect them to be the guys, you know, the big time point producer, or, you know, they've produced at a lower level. So you expect them to, to put up a point per game. And, you know, that just doesn't happen in the USHL for young players. So I, you know, I, I think you bring those guys along slowly and give them a taste of success. And I think they're just going to take off. You know, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit the fact that you bring these guys in for a week or so during the, the season when they're 16 years old and you give them a taste for what it's like and, you know, you give them a taste for what a game is like, what a week of practice is like, it's extremely beneficial. And all three of those guys benefited from that last year. And I think that'll help them make the transition so much faster. Well, Oliver David obviously knows a lot about these players, has watched them for a couple of years now in some cases, and we got his in-depth analysis on the training camp roster, some excitement for the upcoming season, and also uh, just what the coaching staff and the hockey staff in general has been working towards these last couple months. On the flip side of that, Jim and I will be back talking about the NHL playoffs. And last time we spoke on this show, there were about three or four games a day. Now it's down to just one game a day as the conference finals almost completed. And we'll be talking the Stanley Cup finals here pretty soon. Back in a moment. And we're joined by the head coach of your Dubuque Fighting Saints, uh, Oliver David, joining us here today. And uh, coach, last time we talked, we spoke a lot about um, the, the summer, the, the weird summer and the off season. And now finally we have a date, a return to play date. November 6th is what you're shooting for. First of all, how did it feel to finally get a return to play date? And, and secondly, what has the preparation been since that time? Yeah. Um, the, the date that you mentioned, Jack, is a date that, that the season uh, should be starting here, the first game or the first weekend of games for everybody. Our player uh, kind of return to play date uh, for us in Dubuque is, is centered around the 1st of October, so about five weeks prior, um, in, in which we would have uh, four, four preseason games in the month of October um, in the, the late stages of, of, of October. So um, we're actually a lot closer than November 6th in terms of seeing the players. It's, um, it's been, it's been nerve wracking, to be honest, the, the word, the concept, the overarching theme, uh, I'll give you another one, kind of the target and the, the guiding principle here. There's five wor uh, words for you, phrases is safety. And, um, that is what. I personally have been most concerned about, uh, and we are building into our day-to-day -day, um, as we speak. Um, every single thing in terms of our preparation as a staff has been about um, controlling the controllables and um, thinking about 
safety first, you know? So that's, that's been our focus. You meant we've, we've seen the safety at main camp and um, you know, you mentioned the excitement of the season, but also the, the very real fact that there are still going to be a lot of things different with this season. But when you push that aside and you think of the players coming back to Dubuque, it's, it's been a while, even though camp was just a couple months ago, it's been a while where there have been players in Dubuque with an actual sense of a hockey season coming up very shortly. What has the general sense been with the staff uh, in anticipation of these players coming back in terms of the excitement level? Um, I mean, quite honestly, it's, 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 it's a little bit more nerve wracking than um, exciting. It's, um, I, I, I understand the question and I, I know we all want hockey back, but we've got to do so many um, things correctly and make some serious sacrifices in how we maneuver that as a staff and a club, quite honestly, that, that's, that's all we've talked about. We, we, we're going to meet as a staff this week uh, for the first time and we have about three weeks before we hit the ice with everybody. I am very certain um, what you're getting at and, and you know, we're, we're going to feel that, that that's all going to become very real. You know, the closer it is to them getting here um, and then actually talking about hockey, uh, which we haven't done coming this week. So I think the, the answer to the question is excitement has been suppressed a little bit. Mm. Um, in, in trying to work in the correct order here and very quickly excitement, no doubt is going to, is going to take over when we start to see everybody and, and, and have that feeling of here we go and good work getting here and let's do it. You know, and speaking of getting ready and, and then being ready to go a big part of that, a huge part of that obviously is the, the team that will be on the ice this year. And, um, for fans that were following along last week, the, we unveiled the training camp roster for the Fighting Saints. So the players that you just mentioned will be coming into Dubuque in uh, a few short weeks and competing for spots on the 2020-2021 roster. And I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on the roster a little bit without going into too much detail. But as we saw the previous year, a lot of returning names from the team uh, before that. This year we get a lot of similar cases with players like Reggie Millette, Tommy Middleton, Riley Stewart, Michael Feenstra, Stephen Halliday, the list goes on. Uh, how nice is it to have a, a good squad of returning players that have a lot of USHL experience under their belt coming back? I mean, yeah, no matter how you shape it, uh, in junior hockey, probably on any team, even the youth level, uh, and, and obviously players under contract, um, that, that you count on at the pro level when you have people coming back with the experience of, of being with you know living and breathing within your within your club and operating um, in in the way that the club does it it, it borders you know irreplaceable in many in many cases, uh, almost all circumstances, a returning player in the USHL, again, more often than not, 
has a there's a premium on that there's a high value on that and it's very easy to kind of fact check that statement just going online and pick almost any player you want that returns for a second season returns for a third season and you're going to see numbers skyrocket so when we're talking about competition um and and winning as part of development returners play a big part in helping first year players along mm-hmm. um not just necessarily you know you know you don't want to have too many returners you, you don't want to be buried in a lineup um you know those guys get a lot of minutes yeah sure but living in an environment where guys are doing it the right way and and living to in our case our standard um that rubs off you know that peer to peer the peer leadership to me is as we've talked about on this podcast and in different articles that's second to none you know and um a good strong healthy group i think it's about 9 um i think you listed about 5 names there 9 or 10 mm-hmm. um to go along with quite a quite a exciting group of young players when i say young uh we're talking 16 year olds turning 17 the the most that we've ever had on our roster since i've been in dubuque um i'm i'm hopeful we'll pay dividends for everybody and that was going to lead into my next point right there a good segue is the youth of the the players coming in and obviously inherently because of it being junior hockey the league itself is young. The oldest you can be is 21 when the season ends. But that being said, even by those standards, this team is very young. But also, as you said, a ton of talent when you look at players like Max Montez and Kenny Connors and Connor Kurth, all three who tore up their respective age levels last year. What excites you most, most about having players this young on the squad? Um. We've got two Maxes and a couple Connors. <laughs> no, um, it's it's exciting that you know they're all they all are. First of all, the good balance between positions. When you you put Hobie Hedquist in the mix, even though at this point it doesn't seem like he's a new player, he only technically played one regular season game for us, but he's been a part of the fold for you know, over a year now um, and joining us finally full time. Now he's the same age as, as these guys joining us for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, Max and Max, Kenny Connors, Connor Kurth and Riley Rosenthal. And, you know, the, the goalie two two defensemen, uh, three forwards, I mean, three, two, one perfect balance positionally, um, all very uh, different players and their strengths are, strong in their birth year which is why they're here and I think they're going to um, also be strong at our level and if you want to go back to the word exciting I, I, I did actually get some some goosebumps or some some tingles thinking about that that group of six there um, when I when I'm answering this question so it is very exciting uh, what we have coming through. And um, honestly, I think the tip of the iceberg um, probably came through last year. And these guys are 
somewhere in the middle and we're still gonna we're still gonna uh have quite a few others rise that Cali uh you know has drafted and um we'll see in the future coming off our affiliate list especially in the uh, other players in the 03 birth year and the 04 group is uh extraordinarily strong in my opinion based on seeing those of them that showed up uh in our main camp this summer speaking of the what what the team has done well in the last couple of years and you mentioned stockpiling that young talent it was very apparent in the goaltending in the last couple of drafts where you get one of the top goaltenders in the 04 age group this year the 03 age group the year before in Hobie Hedquist but something the team's done pretty well is also bring older more experienced players back into the USHL ranks and you've done that again this year twice at the forward level with P.J. Fletcher and then on defense with Henry Frun. Take us through each of those players and what you expect them to bring to the team. Uh, the greatest thing about both of those guys uh, is a similar thing. And it, it, it's, it's a very real concept. And everybody puts a different amount of weight uh, into the concept, but character counts. And for us, um, it, it counts a lot. And, and P.J. Fletcher, we drafted, um, and Callie was able to identify him as, as somebody that um, was, was going to uh, be interested in a new opportunity, um, much like we've seen with the scenarios of J.D. Greenway, Willie Neerham, James Sanchez, and so on, uh, and Mark Chermeda last year. Uh, he's coming in with the mindset and and the character of you know work matters and uh getting better every day matters these are all standard cookie cutter cliches at this point um but when you live them they're not cliches they're they're habits they're winning actions and i think they're cliches for the right reason so uh, i i'm i'm hopeful we'll see in in pj um what he appears to be all about and his re his reasons for coming are real and uh i'm more than hopeful I, I i trust that those things are what he's all about and and we're gonna we're gonna benefit it benefit from it and so is he henry thron we did not draft um again kelly uh was able to add him uh it's a bit of a long story but we're able to add free agent players pretty much no matter where where they are in the world in hockey um, as long as they're not pro players. And um, then there's a recruitment process uh, if, in fact, they were not to play where, where uh, we added them from. And in his case, Harvard has shut down for the moment. Um, Callie was, you know, able to kind of unearth him. And we went through a recruiting process with him, and we're very fortunate um, uh, he decided to, to play with us for the meantime. Um, and he is... For I'll sum it up here because we all know I get wordy, but he he couldn't be of a higher character. I mean, that's all you need to say about him. He's he's uh, he's going to rival our main man and three year guy Aiden Fulp and and Luke Robinson uh, for for um, a team first guy through and through and a great a great human being. And I'm excited about that. Looking at the the defense core, because I think that's where when you talk about experience, that's where the experience really shines through. 
Braden Doyle with an incredible season last year offensively, also very solid defensively. He's back on the training camp roster. Michael Feenstra, this will be his third full season, I believe, maybe even fourth with the team. Um, and then other players on that list, Ian Pierce, you spoke very highly of him last year. Evan Stella, 30 games with you last season, jumped right in with that solid defense court. And then you bring in Henry Thrun as well to complement some of those younger guys. How big is it in terms of all, almost already knowing that you're going to have such a solid defense court? Um, how much do you think that benefits the young forwards up front? I mean, just going back to working backwards a little bit there, Henry Thrun and the character component here, that's part of why I'm excited he's coming in. You know, so much, so much of our day and our existence uh, and, and especially now trying to accomplish training and, and potentially playing regular season games in the coronavirus pandemic, so much of the stuff that we do, it, we, if we get it right or wrong off the ice, determines our season. And his effect is going to be tremendous on not only the forwards, as, as you're asking, but on the, on the team as a whole. And the expectation um, is very real that, that you know, he delivers on um, this component of joining our team. And I'm excited to see how he goes about that and um, what his overall impact is on all of us. That's the most exciting thing for me on the ice will take care of itself and be a very real excitement for all of us, no doubt. Um, and, and obviously when you're talking positionally and backing up forwards as a defensive core, yeah, I'm sure the forwards are going to feel, um, you know, very, very, very excited and, and, and trusting. And once they're able to trust our back end, including our goaltenders, uh, I, I don't know if there's a better feeling for a forward. You know, we all all turn pucks over. We all got to chase pucks down. But when you know you've got some good support, we call it kind of a shadow. When you, when you know you've got some good shadow support, um, it's a lot better feeling uh, knowing that we, we've all got each other's back. So um, there, we talked about kind of, almost a priceless situation with the, with the value of returners in the USHL. Mm -hmm. um, it probably goes up even more when you've got the majority of your defensive core uh, or defensemen in general on the team familiar with each other and experienced USHL players. And the, the, the guys that we're adding are going to benefit enormously and uh, from from Thrun, um, but also from our returning group, and the guys I'm speaking about, as we've mentioned, have the talent to kind of probably be um, a couple of the better guys to play the position that have come through the club. When I'm when I'm thinking about the young guys in in Burkholder and Rosenthal, so it'll be up to them what they parlay this into, um, but the talent is there for them to be um, exciting performers for us all for, for at least a couple of seasons. 
And then when we move to the, the goaltenders, I don't want to make this seem like it's there's any stroke of luck in the experience that's coming back in net because it, it has been very much by design um, through the drafts in the last couple of years that you have a starter in Aiden McCarthy who almost equally split time last year with Eric Portillo due to some of Portillo's injuries. And then Hobie Hedquist, who, like you said, can be grouped in with those young guys but it doesn't feel like it because of the time he spent with the team and, and quite honestly because of the performance he had in the preseason and then in his one USHL start. What's it going to be like to have those two play off each other this year? It's going to be great. They know each other. Um, they, they know how – they know the expectations. They know how we work. Um, and they're both very capable. And um, I think it was a really good thing that uh, Aiden played as much as he did. Um, again, I've mentioned it uh, in the past, but Hobie actually joined us the night we left for Youngstown and turned around the next day when the season was postponed, March 11th. He left on the bus with us and was going to be with us um, basically the rest of the season and through a playoff run. So um, he he almost you can almost consider him a returner mm -hmm. with um you know just lacking in competition you know in terms of game play games played so um you're right it's it, it's uh, on paper and in our experience up to this point it's it's been by design and a great design and um adds up to be something that uh, we should be excited about, I think. Um, so we're, you know, it, it, you're 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 kind of talking me into getting excited now that I now that I had to say these things out loud, Jack, and and like and 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 I'm sitting here thinking about them. Yeah, I mean, you you you, you flipped the switch. I'm I'm excited uh, about everybody, but yeah, and, and that those those guys are those guys are gonna give us a great chance here. Well, that's that's the, that was the goal of this interview to to drum yeah, up. Yeah, well, you did it for the season. Scored. Um, Scored. But in all honesty, I think that when you look at the training camp roster again, for fans that haven't seen it, they can check it out on our website or social media. There are a lot of names that people already know; they just might not have seen them play that much for the Fighting Saints. And I think that's probably what is exciting about this year's team is a lot of young talent that you've mentioned for a couple years that will now be able to showcase itself in Dubuque. Uh, know you have a lot to do, Oliver, as you alluded to earlier, so we'll let you go. But as always, thanks for the thoughts and thanks for taking the time today. And we're glad to have you excited for the hockey season now as well. Yeah. Thank you, Jack. Stay Saints safe, everybody. Jack Molesky, Jim Leitner back here on the podcast. And Oliver David giving you some great insight uh, on the the roster for training camp and the 25 players that will be making their way to Dubuque in just a matter of weeks to, to get the ball rolling towards the beginning of the 2020-2021 season. The schedule not quite out yet, but that return to play date very much solidified uh, November 6th. And right now that is exactly what the USHL and their teams are working their way towards. But as we bring it back as we usually do while there is still hockey to talk about somehow in the middle of September and the Stanley cup finals are just about to start. Last time we were on the show, 
there were a lot more hockey games a day, Jim. We were talking about how by 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're trying to get everything done so you can just sit in front of your TV and watch hockey for the rest of the day. Now it's a more normal sports watching schedule in the sense that you can be civilized, actually do a full work day, and then just watch the game at 8 o'clock at night. I'm not sure if I prefer that, but that's where we are now. Uh, and some great matchups in the conference finals with the Dallas Stars beating the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe a surprise there in five games. And we are recording this before game six of the Eastern Conference Finals, but it's Tampa Bay and the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals. I guess we'll start with Dallas moving on. Were you surprised that Dallas beat Vegas? And I think everyone was probably surprised that that series was over in five, regardless of who won it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a – this whole playoffs was such a crapshoot. Um, that was a – Dallas was a team that I think probably struggled the most before the, everything was shut down. Uh, they were a team that was really kind of on a down, downward cycle uh, back in March. You know, I think – I thought I heard where they lost four of their last five or something like that, where they were really struggling. And, you know, they are a team that really took advantage of the, you know, the break, the shutdown and, and coming back and, and getting into it. But I think what was really a key for them is I saw a story where they really started to bond in, when they were in the bubble. You know, they came together as a group, they came together as a team and, you know, which, you think about it, you know, that's a, it's an older team, a little more veteran team. Uh, when you have that, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, guys who have families, wives, families, and it's tough to be away from your families and your wives for, you know, now they started back in July. Uh, and we saw that with Tuka Rask from the Boston Bruins. He wanted to go back to his family. He left the bubble because he wanted to be with his family. So I think a big key for Dallas was just, you know, putting all that aside and coming together as a team and bonding and, and coming together for a, a singular cause. And, and, you know, now they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's, a, it's an exciting, uh, exciting time for the Dallas Stars. And, I mean, that's a team that, you know, if we go back to – uh, the middle of the season or so, we thought, you know, that's a team that could possibly go to the Stanley Cup Finals. And, you know, if they just put everything together, and now they have. Dallas Stars with uh, some great goaltending, too. Anton Hudobin, a great story because Ben Bishop was the, the starting goaltender coming into the playoffs, and he got injured fairly early. And Hudobin has stepped in and, and arguably been the best goaltender in the NHL, not named Andre Vasilevsky since he started in the playoffs for Dallas. And I think that's something that you always have to have in the NHL playoffs, no matter who you are, is you have to have a, a little bit of luck with the injury bug for sure, because that's going to hit everyone in the NHL playoffs. Mm -hmm. You obviously have to be one of the best teams, but it seems almost every single year, the team that wins the Stanley cup gets a performance from a player that they weren't entirely expecting to get that much production from. And for the Dallas Stars this year, it has to be Anton Hudobin between the pipes. No doubt about it. And I, I saw a stat where the, the Stars were badly outshot <clears throat> throughout this whole series. Uh, just, I mean, every game they were outshot. And, uh, you know, it, it ended up being by a real wide margin. And yet they won the game or won the series in five games, four games to one. Uh, and, 
the only way that happens is with an outstanding goaltender and the stars got it. You know, you look at Ben Bishop, he was supposed to be the guy again. And, you know, he did not, uh, he did not complete the series. He got injured. And uh, so to, to have a, a performance like that from your backup goaltender is huge. And I think that's exactly why they're in the, the cup finals right now. We'll see if they can continue that on in the, in the next round here in the finals. Going to the Eastern conference, one team in the final in the Eastern conference finals that, it may be a surprise to some. The other team in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think it would only have been a surprise if they weren't in the Eastern Conference Finals, that being the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were uh, a heavy favorite in a lot of people's minds, despite what happened last year in the playoffs. But the New York Islanders uh, have pushed it to a Game 6, and again, we're recording this before Game 6 has happened. But I think regardless of if the Islanders drop the contest in game six or push it to a decisive game seven on Saturday night. They've had a fantastic postseason. <clears throat> Trotz, if, if you already weren't impressed and if you already hadn't decided that Trotz was one of the greatest coaches in NHL history, taking this Islanders team who, who quite honestly is a good team, but not a great team and making them be great in this postseason I think has solidified Trotz as one of the best to ever do it in the NHL. Um, but it's just simply a tough team to play against. If you're the, the New York Islanders, if you're anyone playing against them and Tampa Bay has, has had their way with every team in the bubble so far. So it says something that the Islanders are the first one to push them to a, a sixth game and to really give them, I think uh, maybe even more than they bargained for in the Islanders. Yeah. And you know, the Islanders are a team also that's had, uh, you know, the last, 15, 20 years, maybe even longer than that. They've never had any success. You know, they've, they've been a team that's really struggled historically. So to get to this point where you're in the conference finals, uh, it says a lot about them. They've gotten, they've gotten some really good uh, performance out of guys like Anders Lee, uh, a former USHLer with the, the Green Bay Gamblers. Uh, but yeah, that's, a, it's, they play a gritty style and you're exactly right about Barry Trotz. I mean, he's done it everywhere he's been. You know, he's taken teams that have kind of had a, a history of not having a lot of success and, and put them in a position to win. And, you know, I I didn't think they had a great chance against Tampa Bay, you know, the high-flying uh, lightning. But uh, they pushed him right now uh, to game six and, you know, beat him in overtime the other night. And, you know, that's uh, – it says a lot about Barry Trotz. He's got to be in the conversation for the Jack Adams as the coach of the year. And uh, – it certainly deserves to be where they're at right now. Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, we can't assume the winner of, of that series, but we know the Dallas Stars are in the Stanley Cup final. Let's play both scenarios out. Dallas versus Tampa first because the Lightning have a 3-2 lead in the series. Is that still a clear-cut favorite in Tampa, or has Dallas done enough on their run through the Western Conference to convince you that they might have a chance in that series? That's going to be a great series if, if it comes out. I, <clears throat> and that's kind of the way I anticipate it's going to come out, being Dallas and Tampa Bay. Um, but I think you're looking at a couple teams with a little bit of something to prove. So I think you're going to, it's going to be a really exciting series. You know, you look at Tampa Bay has been so good in the regular season and they've kind of just fizzled out in the playoffs the last couple seasons. And, you know, it's, now it seems like they've got everything put together. So I, I like their chance. I, I still think Tampa Bay would have to be the, uh, 
the favorite in that series, even though uh, Dallas has been playing really well. I think, I just think Tampa Bay has a little bit more firepower and Vasilevsky in that. I think that's, uh, that makes me their favorite or mm-hmm. that makes them the favorite for me. And then the Islanders, if they're to come out, if they're to pull off a, a miraculous comeback down three, one to Tampa, are, are they then the favorite team since they slay Goliath and, and have the momentum going in, or it does now that flip to Dallas being slightly more rested, uh, having the favorite advantage over the Islanders? Uh, then I think I go to Dallas, to be honest. I, I think, uh, I just think, uh, Dallas has a few more veteran key veteran players. Uh, Joe Pavelski guys been, guys been to the Stanley cup finals with San Jose, a lot of good depth uh, offensively. I think they're a little bit more talented team. And um, yeah, I would have to go with Dallas in that situation. I just think in, I think the goaltending might be a little bit better, at least in the playoffs here, I think has been a little bit better for Dallas. Yeah. I think on paper that Tampa Dallas series isn't close, but what we've seen from Dallas this postseason, outside of the first round, when they were slightly and just slightly favored over the Calgary Flames. I, I know a lot of people were still picking the Flames to win that series, even though they were the, the uh, lower seed. But then they had to take on the Colorado Avalanche, who, including myself, were uh, probably the trendy pick to come out of the West. And then if it wasn't going to be Colorado, everyone had the Vegas Golden Knights, probably the deepest team in the Western Conference, beating Dallas. And yet they took care of Colorado in a great seven game series. And then they dominated Vegas, at least in the four, one series victory, great goaltending, some timely scoring. And that I think is the scariest thing about Dallas is ever since they won the first round, they've essentially been playing with house money and they've still won. They've got guys like Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben who've been around for a long time. And as you mentioned, are starved for that big performance in the playoffs and now if you're one of those players who have been around so long, even though you haven't been to the Stanley Cup final yet, it's not enough just to get there. Now they, they want to finish the job. And you have a lot of players like that on Tampa's side. The only difference is Tampa was expected to be here. Dallas wasn't. And that's why I think if it's Dallas-Tampa, Dallas is such a scary opponent for the Lightning. Yeah, I think uh, I think that would be probably the more entertaining Stanley Cup final. And uh, that's probably the one that I'd rather see. But um we'll see i mean you can't count out well as we speak right now you can't count out the islanders you know with a big overtime goal by jordan everly the other night to to get it to a game six you know maybe that uh momentum carries over and they win that game six and they win a game seven and they go on but i i do think the you go back to Dallas, that that's a team that's, uh, like you said, they're going to have a little bit more rest. They're going to be a little bit more fresh when the Stanley Cup final rolls around. And um, I think that uh, they'd have to be the favorite if it's against uh, the Islanders. Well, if, when you're listening to this podcast, the Tampa Bay Lightning have beaten the New York Islanders. Then you're looking at the Stanley Cup final starting in just about a day or two's time. If not, Look forward to that game seven on a Saturday night between the Islanders and Tampa Bay. Either way, within the next four days, you're going to have a Stanley Cup final game here towards the end of September. Pretty exciting. And the Dallas Stars awaiting whatever happens in the Eastern Conference. So we'll be following that very closely. And 
for the foreseeable future. We'll be back here on Fridays as we've got some more hockey uh, to talk about with the USHL ramping up towards the return to play date on November 6th. Jack Molesky, Jim Leitner will be talking to you next Friday. Jim, as always, thanks for joining me and look forward to getting back here on the podcast grind every Friday. Yeah, it's going to be, it's an exciting time of the year and a little bit start, later, later start than we're used to, but uh, it's going to be exciting. And uh, I think this is a team that fans can gravitate towards and, and be excited about. So it's going to be a fun winter. Absolutely. Again, if you uh, want to just listen to Oliver David's interview, that's right after the first segment. We'll be posting that on our YouTube page as well. And next week, we'll be talking more about the training camp roster, doing some player profiles. And also, hopefully by next Friday, we'll have a schedule release. Until next time, for Jim Leitner, I'm Jack Molesky. Take care.